Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, is it I? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, and Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Now when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, Where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, saying, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Father, as we take a few minutes tonight to consider your word, Lord, I once again pray that you would be our teacher tonight, that you would instruct us from your unchanging holy word, And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be ready to receive. Lord, so often we can come into a study and our mind is somewhere else and we're planning and strategizing for something else. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be ready to hear from you because I believe you got a a word for every single one of us tonight. So may your spirit be all over this place this evening. I thank you for these friends of mine that you've gathered to this place tonight. Enrich us in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as you well know, unless you are visiting tonight, we are doing a series entitled Being Discipled by Jesus. Well, we're looking at those passages of Scripture where Jesus pulled aside, not the multitudes, not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, his disciples. Those men who wanted to change their generation and their world for him and for his kingdom. And we started this series by looking at the early studies that Jesus did with his disciples. The Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we saw how Jesus gave these disciples the kingdom attitudes that they were to have and then instructed them on how they were to live in light of those attitudes in the culture, in the community in which God had placed them. He told them to get on the narrow road and stay on it as a disciple. Then we kind of switched gears a few weeks ago and we began to look at things Jesus said in the middle of his ministry. In Matthew 10, where he took many people who were his disciples, his quote-unquote learners, and he narrowed those down to 12 apostles. 
And he sent them out. That's what the word apostle means, one who is sent out. And he sent them out with instructions on how they were to live and how they were to behave. We looked at Matthew 16 where Jesus took his disciples basically on a retreat. And he said to them, hey, who do people say that I am? And some said, oh, you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. But we remember what Peter said. You are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus exhorted him and encouraged him and showed us that in that study that the truth that sometimes, in fact, most times, being a disciple will cost you. And Jesus exhorted his disciples to take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow him. Well, we've moved on from the middle of Jesus' ministry, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, to the very end of Jesus' ministry. John 13 through 17 is the night before he was crucified, the night he was betrayed. And the things that Jesus shared, knowing full and well this was his last night before his death, they are super important things. And what I share with you last week is we're looking at six insights to life and ministry that Jesus gave in these chapters. And the first one we considered last week, and that is that true greatness, true greatness is found in serving. You remember? In serving. Of course, we live in a world where the message is the greatness in this world is to get other people to serve you. (laughs) Greatness in this world is to be the big cheese, to to be the boss. You don't want to smell like a big cheese, but to be the big cheese and to be the boss and to move forward in that way. But Jesus says, no, no, no. To his disciples then and to us tonight, no, something different you need to hear, boys. Greatness is found in serving. Well, tonight we move on beyond that first one and we see tonight that Jesus is going to show us by the example of three disciples, it's not so much how you start, but how you finish. It's not so much how you start, but how you finish. And really, really, I think there's a word for every one of us here tonight. Because really we're going to see three disciples in view this evening in the verses we already read together. We see the disciple Judas and his relationship with God. Maybe there's a few tonight that need to learn from Judas. We see John in this this passage of Scripture and his relationship with God and what Jesus was teaching him that night about finishing well. And then finally we see Peter tonight. Peter, and we see where he went through and what he faced in his life and how we can learn from those things tonight. So again, tune your spiritual ears in tonight because I believe every single one of us in the room can learn from at least one of these disciples. So we start with Judas. Judas did not respond well to the message of service. (laughs) This idea of Jesus taking a towel and washing feet, it did not resonate with Judas. Judas was into prestige and power. So this washing his feet business, telling others to do the same, was really the last straw for Judas. And he left to do what he had been planning to do for some time, and that was to betray Jesus. And even though Jesus is saying to his disciples, one of you is going to betray me tonight, I find it so interesting, friends, that no one thinks it's Judas. No one, even when he leaves. I mean, to me, it's pretty obvious. Jesus says, it's who I give a piece of bread to. He hands it to Judas. You know, go out and betray me. And one guy leaves. And everybody else is there. It seems pretty duh who the person is that's going to betray him. But friends, we've got to see this clearly tonight. Nobody in the room thinks it. Even when he leaves, we're told in the scriptures that the other disciples thinks he's, th- think he's going to buy food or give some money to the poor. 
And I want you to really consider that. Why do they feel that way? It wasn't because they were a bunch of dummies. I mean, that wasn't it. They're like, I don't know what's going on. I mean, that's not the truth. What was it that really was driving this decision tonight? I suggest to you, it was because Judas had it all together outwardly. More so than any of the other disciples. We know he was more educated than the rest of the disciples. We know that he was from a better neighborhood than the boys from Galilee. We know that he said the right things and did the right things. No one would have suspected Judas. And even though Judas together had it outwardly, what we also need to see is he was a mess inwardly. Oh, I'm sure Judas started out with good intentions. I want to be part of this Messiah. I want to be part of what he is doing. But at this point, he has been given over to hypocrisy and bitterness toward Christ that Satan was able to take over. Judas started well, but in the end, you guys all know, he was nowhere with with Jesus. And it wasn't that Jesus didn't try to reach out to him. I think this whole scenario that we read about last week that part of it, besides teaching the disciples about service, besides giving them a living example of his incarnation, probably a lot of it was set up as a one last ditch effort for Judas to change his mind. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like to be Jesus, to be Judas, as Jesus is washing his feet? Jesus looking into his eyes, Judas knowing what he's about to do, Jesus knowing what he was about to do. And what we know from, about the Lord from Scripture, I don't think those were angry eyes. You know, Jesus like, does this hurt? And pull your toe and, you know, hit your foot. I don't imagine that's how it went down. Like, oh yeah, you're looking on there, I'll smile. I don't think that was it. I don't think Jesus looked with angry eyes. I don't think he was condemningly rolling his eyes like, oh yeah, you're a real disciple. Here we are. No way. I personally believe his eyes were full of compassion. As Jesus was there just washing his feet, what are you doing? What are you doing? I love you. I'm trying to serve you. What are you doing? And it's just a word of warning tonight. I hope, I hope, I hope that the example of Judas applies to no one here in the room tonight, no one watching online tonight. I hope, I hope, I hope that is absolutely true. But maybe, maybe that is where you're at tonight. You go to church, you know the sermons, you know the songs. Friends, Judas would have known them all too. And no one, though no one would ever have guessed, no one would ever dare to say, hey, are you right with God? If you are there tonight, well then you know deep in your heart that it's true. That there's a separation between you and God, that things aren't right. But if you're in that place, I believe God has you here tonight for a reason. Because Jesus doesn't want to condemn you. He's not bitter toward you, but with eyes full of love and no doubt full of tears. Tears of thinking, what will happen if you don't repent? If you don't turn, he is holding out his nail-scarred hands to you again tonight saying, what are you doing? Turn to me. The Lord would be saying tonight, are you ready to be real and not just play a part? Are you ready to enter into a real relationship with me? Are you tired of that secret rebellion that only you and I know is happening? Are you tired of the hypocrisy? Friends, we understand it's too late for Judas, but what about you? Where are you really at with the Lord tonight? Because it's not the show. It's not the act that matters. It's the reality. Judas looked great outwardly. 
The other disciples, no doubt, had no idea. I, I personally think they were thinking Peter, don't you? You know, Jesus, one's going to betray me. I bet it's Peter. I know it's Peter. Or, or maybe Matthew, the tax collector. The tax collector. That, that traitor to Israel. It's got to be him. Or Thomas, always doubting the Lord. He's got to be the betrayer. No matter who they thought the candidate was, nobody expected Judas and maybe nobody would ever, respect, or ever suspect you. But Jesus knows. And lovingly, he wants you to know he knows. He wants you to repent tonight and respond to him. So I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. Nobody can relate to Judas. But if that's you, repent, repent. Now, the other disciples. Maybe that's where we fit in. The next disciple I want us to consider for a second is John. John's in this text. Well, where? I didn't see John's name mentioned anywhere in this text. Verse 23, look at it. Verse 23, it says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. I love this. Again, friends, think it through with me. We are in the gospel of who? John. So John is the author of John 13. And John is writing this description and he says, now there was one disciple, won't say who, leaning on Jesus' chest, but I'll give you this indicator, he was one of the disciples whom Jesus loves. Me, the disciple whom Jesus loved, me. But that was John. That was John. I see it in other people too. I I have two daughters, Haley, my nine-year-old, and Aaliyah, my five-year-old. And since Jonathan was the star of Sunday morning study, give the girls a few minutes of fame. My youngest daughter, Aaliyah, comes to me the other day and says, Dad, am I your princess? I'm your princess, right, Dad? Huh, Daddy? I'm your princess. And I said to her, of course. Of course, sweetheart, you are my princess. But then she looked at me and said, and Haley, Haley's our horse, right, Dad? <laughs> Haley's our horse. And I said, what? what? Now, none of you go tell Haley this story tonight. Please don't. We don't want to hurt her feelings. And I said, no, Haley's my nine-year-old princess. You're my five-year-old princess. No, Dad, no, Dad. Haley's our horse. I am your princess. Oh, pray for Aaliyah. Pray for her older sister, Haley. But I see this in John. I just see John saying, I'm the disciple you love, right, Jesus? Right, Jesus? Yes, but I also love Bartholomew and Thomas and Peter. Bartholomew and Thomas? Come on, Lord. They're not even in the story. Come on. You don't, you don't love them. And Peter, Peter's our horse, right, Lord? That's who he is. Oh, no, I see this in John. I love it. John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, I'm making fun of him, and you may say, well, John, John kind of sounds kind of prideful. It reminds me of Sunday morning when you had that picture of your niece, and you said that you loved it because you were in it, and she was in it. Kind of reminds me of that. Listen, that might be true of me, but of John. John, in contrast to Judas, get this tonight, friends. Judas, who was faking a relationship with God. John was a disciple who just knew his standing with Jesus. He just knew Jesus loved him. John knew the Lord loved him and he loved the Lord in return. It was a great relationship. Now maybe, hopefully, that's where you find yourself tonight. 
That it's not Judas who, you look good, you say the right things, you say glory and hallelujah, you know the words to the songs, you know when to clap, you know when to stand, you know when to sit down, but inwardly, there's nothing there there. I hope that's not you. If not, you need to repent. But, but maybe you find yourself in John's place. You know, you just know you know that God loves you. You don't know why, if you're like me, that God loves you. You just do. Or if you think you know why, you're like my daughter Leah. But the reality is, whether you know or don't know, you just know God loves you. You know He does. I'm the one whom God loves. And to that I say, awesome. Awesome, but notice verse 34. Notice verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. But by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, friends, hear me on this. It's great that you understand you are loved by God. That is so wonderful. But precious ones, disciples, For disciples, that needs to translate into something else. It needs to translate into you loving other people too. This was the message of loving one another. It was something that was huge to Jesus at this point in his ministry. For example, the word love is only used 12 times in the first 12 chapters of John. The first 12 chapters, the word love only comes up 12 times. But in the last seven or eight chapters, 13 to 21, it's used 44 times. You see the emphasis? Jesus wanted his disciples to get this. He says, a new commandment I give you. And friends, Bible students, a new commandment doesn't mean new in time. Get that into your mind. Get it into your heart. A new commandment doesn't mean new in time. Like Jesus just came up with a new one. Oh, I got some new idea. Yeah, love one another. It means new in experience or fresh. What Jesus was telling these disciples, whom he loved, he says, I'm glad you love me, but you're about to get a fresh and new reason to love other people. You're about to get a fresh and new reason to extend the love that we have together to others around you. And that new and fresh reason, most of you know, was the cross of Jesus Christ. They were about to see their Lord and their master crucified. And Jesus is saying, by this, you have a fresh new reason to love one another. How does that work? Well, the reality is, you know, we we know the Bible says this. We've heard sermons on it before. But if we're having real talk tonight, It's tough to love one another. I mean, it's easy to love people that love us back. I mean, people are like, you're so wonderful. I love those people. But that's not everybody, is it? There are people that give you a hard time. There are people that rub you the wrong way. There are people who, when you're reading the Psalms and David's, break their teeth, Lord. It's so hard for you not to go, amen, amen, David. That's what I want too. I know you feel that way. Sinners, you're looking at me like you have no idea. Some of you are like, what? I've never had those feelings. You are a liar and of your father. Oh, never mind. Um, Listen, we've all felt that way towards individuals. It's tough to love people sometimes because the wrongs they do toward us are real wrongs. They're real offenses. They're not imagined. 
<laughs> they're not disguised. They're real offenses. So how do I love others? By this new and fresh experience of the cross. You see, Jesus told a parable in Matthew 18. He said there was a man that owed a debt he just couldn't pay. Equivalent in our days of of a million dollars. And you can imagine, most of us sitting in this room, if you owed a million dollars to anybody, that would be the end of your financial life. Some of you, maybe that's no big deal. That's awesome. Jason Duff Ministries, Inc. I'm just kidding. I don't have any Jason Duff Ministry, Inc. But the reality is, for most of us, that's a huge deal. And we understand there's this guy. He owes a million dollars and he doesn't know what to do. So he comes to his master and says, just give me more time. I I swear I will get right. And, And the master just has compassion. He says, you know what? Your debt's forgiven. It's forgiven. It's forgiven. And Jesus goes on to say that that, that that servant, he rejoices that he's forgiven the debt. But then what does he do? You remember, he goes to some dude that owes him a hundred bucks. That's the equivalent. He owes a million. That debt's wiped out. He goes to someone who owes him a hundred bucks and starts shaking him. You give me that hundred dollars and I owe And the master gets wind of this and says, what are you doing? I've forgiven you so much. I have forgiven you so much debt. It blows my mind how much I forgave you. But now you want to go back and shake down someone for a hundred bucks? And Jesus gives this illustration for a reason. You see, if you feel constantly toward people, I'm bitter at him and I'm angry at him and I'm mad at that guy. I know those are real feelings for real wrongs. But you need to consider anew and afresh the cross of Jesus Christ. You need to consider anew and afresh how much you have been forgiven. How long has it been since you thought through the crucifixion? Oh, we hear it on Good Friday and we hear it at communion times. It becomes so routine to us. Jesus was brutalized for you and I. The crown of thorns was shoved into his head. His back was torn open. He was nailed there to a cross and suffering. He looked at those that were spitting at him and yelling insults at him. And what did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And again, we can read that with our latte in our hand and oh, that was so loving of you, Jesus. I hope you realize he is the same thing to you and me every single day because I willingly and knowingly turn my back on him. I willingly and knowingly do things that I know I shouldn't. And I just see Jesus from the cross. Tears in his eyes, not because he's mad or angry, because he knows the pain and the cost that sin will bring in all of our lives. Grace or no grace, it still brings pain. It still brings consequences. But then he looks at me and he looks at you and he says, Father, forgive him for he knows not what he does. Like we talked about on Sunday, the grace that God pours on my life and yours is unfathomable. That it's not that he just erase erased. That the handwriting of requirements that are against you and against me, those are not just wiped off. Those are wiped out. They're gone. Our sin is gone, glory, hallelujah. And when I think on that for a couple of minutes, that my sin and all of the disgusting things I have done are gone. What right in the world do I have to be angry and bitter at other people? Do you hear me on that, precious church? What right do I have? You see, Jesus gave me a new and fresh reason to take the love that him and I enjoy. And we do. I love God and he loves me. And he says, great, great. Now, as a disciple, 
I want you to take that love and pour it on others. But they, but a new commandment I give you. A new and fresh reason for you to begin to love one another. We need to love others. Now you might say, well, well, well. That's just not me, Pastor Jason. That's not me. I'm not loving. My dad didn't hug me as a child. My mom was critical, so I'm critical. I'm I'm not loving. So Jesus understands that's just the way I am, doesn't he? No. No. No, Jesus doesn't just understand. He didn't say, a new commandment I give to you, love one another, except those of you who didn't get enough hugs growing up. That's not what he said. That's not it at all. He didn't save you to keep you the way you are. He wants to make you a what? A new creation. He wants to do something new in my life and yours. And let that be an encouragement to you. Again, the theme tonight, hey, it's how, how you start is important, but not as important as how you finish. If you're in the place of Judas tonight and you've been faking it and putting on a show, hey, it's real important how you finish because that will determine your eternal destiny. You need to repent and get right with God tonight. But maybe you're not like Judas, praise the Lord. But you find yourself like John. You love him so much and you know he loves you. But love other people. Listen, it's how you finish. It's how you finish. You see, be encouraged. If you struggle with being loving, John struggled with being loving. You see, we know John. John's the apostle of love. He writes 1 John. It's all about love. Love your brother. Love your sister. Love your neighbor. Love Jesus. It's all about love. But that's not how John started. You guys remember that. It was John that said to Jesus, hey, I got an idea for the Samaritan village that rejected you. Let's set them on fire. That is the definition of unloving. (laughs) As critical as you are tonight, the most critical person in this room has probably not contemplated, if you have, please keep it to yourself, has probably not contemplated setting that person on fire. I do. Again, we're praying for you. But the reality is, that is unloving as it absolutely gets. That was John. It was John that was arguing that night, this very night we're learning about, above who's the greatest. Jesus loves me more than you. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. That's John. But friends, with this new and fresh experience of the cross and a demonstration of Jesus' love for him, John learned to love those around him. And as Jesus said, it was a love that changed the world. So where are you at tonight? Are you like Judas? It's time to repent. It's time to get real and get right. Are you like John? You love God. You know he loves you. For loving others? Eh. You need to finish well tonight. A new and fresh experience with the cross and embrace who Jesus wants you to become. Well, last disciple tonight. Last disciple. And that's Peter. Peter we saw in our text tonight. Peter. Jesus starts talking about going somewhere where they can't follow and the disciples I see him nodding except for you know who (laughs) Peter decides to pipe up and share Ah, I got a word to say I can follow you I can bear it no doubt looking around the room the rest of these lightweights yeah you're right they will probably deny you I got my money on John that old softy leaning on your chest what self-respecting man does it? Anyways, I don't know if that happened. That's my own interpretation of the text. But Peter says, not me. You remember me, Jesus. I'm, I'm Rocky. 
So the Lord lets him know, well, Rocky, <laughs> the reality is, whatever you're saying, you're going to end up denying me three times before the sun is up. You know, I bet Peter was shocked. I really do. You know, when Jesus said to Judas, someone's going to betray me, it wasn't like J- Judas was going, I wonder who that is. <laughs> Judas knew, uh-oh, that's me. But when he said to Peter, you're going to die me three times, it wasn't like Peter was like, oh, yeah, I was planning on it. I bet he was shocked. I know he was shocked because think through how the evening will go. They're going to head out after chapter 14 to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're going to be asked to pray there for a while and they're all going to fail. But then, then, then the guards are going to show up. The soldiers are going to show up. They're going to come to arrest Jesus and there's Judas pointing Jesus out, betraying him with a kiss. What does Peter do? Do you remember pulls out his sword and tries to go to battle. Listen, as much grief as we give Peter, he pulled out his sword and charged a bunch of soldiers. That is brave. That is courageous. Now, he wasn't much of a swordsman, you know. He's lopping off Malchus's ear and you don't think he was really aiming for the ear, do you? You're coming for my Lord. I'll show you off with your ear. Touche. <laughs> Peter was aiming for the head and missed. That's what really happened. So he's not much of a swordsman, but he's brave. He's going out. Where were the other ones? Where was, where was the disciple whom Jesus loved? <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he was hiding. Where was John? Where was, where was James? Where was Bartholomew? Where, where was the... They were in, Peter was one. Oh, yeah. So I I believe he was sincere. I believe it shocked him to hear Jesus say this. But deny the Lord, you all know, is exactly what Peter did. Not just once, not just twice, but three times exactly as Jesus said. Now I bring this up because I think this is an important lesson when it comes to life and ministry. What's the difference between Judas and Peter? Both denied him. Both walked away from him. Both wept bitterly after they did. So what's the difference? I suggest to you the difference is this. Judas started off well, denied the Lord, but stayed in that denial. He didn't repent and get back to serving the Lord. Oh, I know the book of Acts says that he was remorseful but not to the point of repenting and returning to serve Jesus. Peter, on the other hand, denies God, weeps bitterly, heads back to Galilee, but the minute he was given a chance, Peter ran. Well, you know the story, not ran, literally swam as fast as he possibly could to get back to the Lord. He's there on his boat out fishing and again he's catching nothing. So now we learn that Peter can't fight. (laughs) He can't fish. It's a pretty good thing Jesus called him to be an apostle because he didn't seem too good at anything else. But he's there and he catches nothing and here's this figure on the shore. Cast your nets over to the other side. Peter casts his nets on the other side and fish began to pile in. And I just see the wheels turning with Peter. This reminds me of something. 
this reminds me of the day I met my king. I know that voice on the shore. I know that call. And Peter, the Bible says he didn't even take time to get dressed, jumps in in April or May. I mean, this is, this is springtime. I've been to Israel at that time and baptized people in those waters. It is freezing. Peter doesn't care. He jumps in because I know that voice and I want him back. And friends, here is the choice tonight. I fully understand the ideal is John. The ideal is John. You just know God loves you and he loves you and you love him and you've never walked away. It's not that you're not a sinner, but you just, you just never, it's like, oh, sorry, I sinned, you know, this month. Sorry about that. That's my wife. You know, it's just, sorry, once every 90 days, it happens, you know, and, and you get, I mean, that, that, I know that's the ideal. That's the ideal, but then there's the, the, there's the rest of us. Maybe you've blown it. Maybe you've done things that you, you swore up and down you would never do. And there's a battle in your heart and your mind with condemnation and conviction. With the enemy saying, you hypocrite. You Judas. You're not real. You're not a real disciple. You're not a real follower of Jesus Christ. Why don't you just give up now? Then there's the voice of Jesus saying to you, I'm still here. I still love you. I still want to take your life and use your life and mold your life. Oh, oh there, there will be ramifications for sin. Always is. But my love is consistent and it does not change. And you have a choice tonight. The difference, the difference, the difference between Judas and Peter is not based on what you have done but what you will do next. It's not based on what you've done. There will be consequences for what you have done. But whether or not you are a Judas or a Peter is not based on what you have done but what you will do next. Will you run out into the night like Judas or will you like Peter say I know that voice I know that voice of my father and my king I remember the time he first called me I remember that time when he first drew me by his side and he hasn't changed and he hasn't faltered and he hasn't altered. He's still right there saying, I still love you and I'm still for you. And you have a choice tonight of whether you're going to give in to the enemy and his plan for your life or whether you're going to run back into the arms of the Lord who loves you more than you will ever understand. The ideal is John. But for the rest of us, what are you going to do? If you can skip to the last slide, guys. Alexander White said this. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. The victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. 
If you've gone the, right, the wrong way, you need to understand what separates Judas, the most despised disciple of all time, and Peter, the most celebrated disciple of all time, is repentance. True, genuine repentance. Stop, turn, and go in the opposite direction. It's not so much how you start. What is super important tonight is how are you going to finish? How are you going to finish? Lord, I believe that there is a word for every single person here tonight. Because I do think we can find ourselves in the image of Judas or John or Peter. God, there may be one or two tonight that are here who have put on a good show, who know the songs, who know the Christianese and what to say. God bless you, brother. But the reality is their heart is so far from you and they know it. They're not shocked to hear that like Peter. They know it. And tonight, you brought them to this place, not by accident, not by mistake. You brought them to this place as you washed Judas's feet that night with tears in your eyes saying, are you ready to be real? Are you ready to stop the hypocrisy and be real with me and be a real, genuine believer? And if you're in that place tonight, give your life to Christ. Repent of these things that are between Him and you and stop the show. Jesus isn't into the show. He's not into our songs and our offerings when there's no heart behind it. He's into reality. You need to give your heart to him. But, but Father, I also want to pray for, for the Johns in the room. Those that love you and know you love them. Father, I pray for those as well tonight. God, they are sinners. They've done things wrong but never seem to have really strayed. Lord, I pray you'd encourage them to keep doing well, to not grow weary in well-doing, but Lord, you would give to them a new commandment, a new and a fresh reason to go beyond their comfort zones and begin to love one another and serve one another as we talked about last week. And finally, Lord, tonight, I want to pray for us Peters in the room, for those that have strayed, for those that have gone their own way. And Lord, I pray specifically tonight for those that are in that place right now. That, Lord, you would help them to see the choice before them to listen to the lies of the enemy, to give up and to give in. I pray they would hear your voice saying to them, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Saying to them, Father, forgive them. They don't really understand what they're doing saying to them as you did to Peter that day, do you love me? Then feed my sheep, tend my lambs. 
Lord, I pray they'd hear that voice. They would see your arms open wide and they'd run to you tonight and decide, I am going to follow Jesus. God, do that work in each of our hearts, wherever they might be tonight. Before we worship, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you find yourself in that place of Judas tonight, again, I hope with all of my heart that's nobody. But worse than being that person tonight is to keep the mask on and not let the Lord deal with you. In fact, I really believe there is one person here tonight who God is ministering to you. It's time to drop the act. It's time to drop the hypocrisy. It's, trying, it's time to drop what everybody else thinks about you. And it's time for you to really serve the Lord. That is the word of Jesus who loves you to you tonight. If you're in that place, it's time to cry out to him. I'm sure you know what to say. You know what to cry out. So right now, right now, we're just going to have a quiet moment before the Lord. And if you find yourself in a place like Judas, you cry out to him tonight and repent and get right. If you find yourself in a place like John and you know God's calling you to, to, to love others, then you cry out to him tonight, change me, God, fix me, God. If you're in that place of Peter where you just sense that you're, you're distant but you want to be back with him, you cry out to him tonight. As Joe begins to play, as he begins just to play quietly, you right now, before we stand, before we sing, you in a moment between you and God, would you be real with him tonight? And let God do this work in your heart and in your life. Let's take just a moment, just a moment, for you to be real with him. Thank you.